Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, it is Tuesday, October 1st. You are listening to the Cheats Movement on WRIR. Gigi Broadway is in the building. Gigi, how you feeling? I'm good. I'm tired, but I'm good. I'm here. <laughs> Yo, I am excited. It is October already. October is a great month. It is. A uh, lot going on. What's the first thing you think of when you think of October? Both of my kids' birthdays are in October. And my kid's birthday, Cameron's birthday, is in October. Oh, that's right. So, yeah. So, we... three birthdays between the two of us Sheesh. this month. What else do you think of? Um, Halloween, my favorite. One of my least favorite holidays <laughs> of all time. We've talked about this. <laughs> we did. We talked about this on the show. We so, did. we're really coming up on a year because we've had this conversation about how I feel about Halloween. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my favorite and only um, holidays that I go all out for. Um, October... <laughs> I, that's so sad because I told you like, never mind. But really elaborate. You go really elaborate. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like Halloween. Oh, and I cannot wait to go to the um the haunted tour, like the boat tour. Bells out. No, oh, I'm never gonna do that. Oh never. my god. Never gonna do that. I you know wait. what I do do is the uh, Carrie Town Zombie Walk. <gasps> you do? So I okay. Relax, <laughs> relax. I don't dress up and like I'm not a zombie <sighs> and do no 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 no. <laughs> I I do go. I take a lot of pictures. We bring Cam. Uh, there's going to be an age where it really does freak him out. He he's right now. And he's so young that he's not really freaked out. Yeah. This might be the year. Four to five years old might be the year where he's like he'll be five. So he may be like, get me out of here. Yeah. I'm I'm really interested to see how he's going to react. But I do I enjoy that. So they when they enjoy when they do the walking down Carytown and all of that. Uh, I'll tell you. Um, so my wife has signed up for her first ever like chaperone of a field trip because now he's in pre-k he gets field trip oh yes so she signed up and she's going with him to the pumpkin patch oh that's a that's a perfect first chaperone field trip experience the pumpkin pumpkin match it should be fun speaking of fun we should talk about this episode of the cheats movement on wrir uh, the headline is already uh, Trump is being impeached. That's the headline. <laughs> I don't know exactly how it's all going to work out. Dr. Julian Hader from the University of Richmond is on the program. I love talking to Julian about these types of things. So we talked to him extensively about the politics behind this impeachment. Good, because I need to know a few things. <laughs> <laughs> and is it... You know, so we have we have that. We have a couple of segments. We, we, you know, we have listened to the audience. We have a couple of segments that will be on the show today. A lot of them, two, at least two of them, strongly hip hop related. And then, and Gigi, and we have one right for you, built for you, because we are going to talk about Takashi Six Nine conspiracy theory. Ah, the plot thickens. So, if anyone's not familiar, we'll get into some of the Takashi Six Nine conspiracy theories, and then I've got a really fun hip hop uh, topic I want to go through with you. I want to go through hip hop artists. Vibe has just released a list of what they believe is the top 10 hip-hop artists to release two studio albums in one year. Mm. And I want to go through the list with you, and we're not going to rank the albums, but we'll probably rank the artists and put them in brackets and echelons based off of their quality of work. And and I guess we should do it just off the two albums they released that year. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So we'll do that. We'll do that. Uh, we did get an Ask the Cheats Movement audience question in, and that one is going to be uh, regarding the big, big news last week about the statue unreeling. So we'll actually lead with that, um, and then we will go into our show. Ladies and gentlemen, Gigi Broadway is here. It is the Cheats Movement on WRIR. It is Tuesday, October 1st. We will be right back after this. Watch out now. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, it is Tuesday, October 1st. You are listening to the Cheats Movement on WRIR. Gigi Broadway is here. Gigi, how you feeling? I'm here, man. I'm, I'm wiped out, but I'm here. 
Hey, as always, this episode of the Cheats Movement on WRIR is brought to you by Working Friends. We got to shout out the good people at Working Friends, one of the best co-working spots in Richmond. Shout out our girl Larkin and the whole team over there making it happen. So if you're looking for a co-working home, you may be a business owner, an entrepreneur, or just someone that works by themselves and wants to work around other people. Yep. Make sure you check out Working Friends. All the information, All the information is online. Working friends, make sure you check them out. I love it over there. So we've been gone for a little while, and we, and every time we say we're going to do this, we never do it. We even if we do it, we don't air it because we don't have enough time to do it. So what I'm going to do right now is every week, every other week that we air, we ask you guys, the audience, for ask the cheats movement questions, and every once in a while we get a response. <laughs> Not all the time, but every once in a while, we get a response. And so, I want to respect that, and I actually want to lead the show with that, because we got one from our good friend, Big Rich, over there at Booze and Grooves. What up, Rich? And Rich asked us, and we'll give some context to the question, but he goes, he asked, how do we protect the Kehinde Wiley statue? Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you're in the Central Virginia area, you know this already, uh, but I want to explain to you exactly the magnitude of what has happened with the unveiling last week of the Kehinde Wally statue. Where did he unveil it? Times Square, New York City. That's crazy. He unveiled the a, a brand new sculpture, statue, monument, however you want to call it, titled Rumors of War. And it is something that came together... In his visit, in his 2016 visit to Richmond, he was showing at the VMFA, and he came to Richmond, and he saw Confederate Avenue, and he decided, and they asked him at the time, would he want to work on something that could be uh, a, a counterpoint, you know, not Robert E. Lee-type statue, uh, and he said yes, it took about three years, and they just recently unveiled in Times Square to a massive amount of people. I think it was like 350 to 400 people standing in Times Square for his first public art project. And and I'll tell you, if you haven't seen it, Gigi Broadway, have you seen it? Yeah. It is amazing. It's it insane. is flat out stellar. And it is, I mean, it's just beautiful. It, it, it is going to be displayed from what I understand it is going to be displayed on the front lawn of the VMFA along the lines of Arthur Ashe Boulevard. What do you think? I'm super excited. I'm proud. I'm elated. I think it's huge. And I think it's a good spot, man. I think it's an amazing spot. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful. I can't wait till I believe it's December 10th. When they're gonna is that unveil- when yeah they're gonna have a whole nother unveiling in Richmond obviously yeah. at its permanent location at the VMFA and it, I mean it's 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 from what I've seen on TV I mean what I've seen on the news it is just massive and and beautiful and it's gonna be something special but it does lead to the question that uh, Rich asked which is. When it gets put on Monument Avenue, do you think that it will invite uh, vandalism? Do you think that'll invite, uh, you know, negative activity? Uh, and how, how do you go about protecting the statue, the monument, uh, rumor, uh, rumors of war? Mm. I mean, I honestly don't think, and I don't know if it's just me being super optimistic, but I don't think that it will need protection. I think it'll be fine. What do you think? I share your optimism. Mm -hmm. I think the Kahindi Wiley piece has a, and given the time in 2019, has a much higher potential to be a national attraction. Oh, for sure. Because he's so big right now. He's so hot. And I think people will come from, you know, years on down the line. You come just to see that. So you try to attract that. So that much attention may bring on more heat you know what i mean more more attempts to do bad things to it um however i do think the place we are uh as a community uh, obviously it only takes one bad actor what they do what they do to prodigy's mural you know what i mean uh, and bob deep after prodigy passed like back to back 
you know, something bad happened to the Prodigy Merle back to back. So, yeah. you know, corrupt people, bad people, you know, people seeking attention may do things anyway. Mm-hmm. But I do I think that there's going to be re- repeated effort to harm the actual piece of art? No, I don't. I don't think that'll. I don't. I think it'll be a lot more closer to the Arthur Ashe statue or monument than, you know, something that would get vandalized all the time. Right. Here, here's the other thing, and the last thing I'll say about this, though, that will probably bring more attention to it. You know, random Saturday in Richmond on Arthur Ashe Boulevard already has the Virginia flaggers protesting outside the VMFA with their Confederate flags, and all. You've seen it before when you go down like on a Saturday morning and the Virginia flaggers are protesting the VMFA with the Confederate flags because they used to have their flag up and they took it down years ago. Yeah. I feel like the statue with the flaggers Mm. with, you know, increased media attention, especially early on, maybe that first year, two years, three years, if the flaggers continue to, you know, put up, you know, because every time they come out with their Confederate flags in front of the VMFA, it invokes conversation because it's such a foot traffic area. There's people walking, there's people jogging, there are people offended, there are people honking their horns. Yeah. Um. So I think that, along with Kahinde Wiley, along with a lot of national attention and international attention, will probably, if there's potential to be any type of powder keg, I think that would do it more so just than the statue being there. Oh, for sure. But honestly, I mean, I think I've never felt that type of energy to where it really leaves me to believe that that will happen, you know. But like you said, it only takes one. So it only takes one. And I, and, and like you said, one side note to um, in regards to the VMFA being the vehicle to really put some of this in motion, working with Kahane Wiley and actually actually have having it hosted permanently on the front lawn of the VMFA. Uh, it's in a couple of articles that how much of an effort that the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts has made to change their culture within the last five years and the last decade. I've seen it. And I've... I really just feel like they should be commended. Absolutely. Uh, their whole team over there, the, from the director, Alex, who I've met in, in passing, you know, we've done some things, but from just amazing people that I continue to work with, I know Paul is there now, um, does some really, really great work. I've worked with, uh, uh, I can't remember Suzanne's last name now, uh, um, Susan, who retired over there. We just, we, they've just been really, really great people put in place over and over again that really believe in diversity, really believe in opening the VMFA, really believe in kind of changing the narrative around it, what you know, what they're doing with their family days, what they're doing with their reading. And they, and they really should be uh, commended for the effort. I think the last article I read said, I think their leadership team now is almost 50-50 if you're looking at people of color and women involved. And it, and it is a change that they consciously made. Yeah. And I think that's really reflected in the effort that they're doing. And it's really, you know, reflecting in kind of what they're projecting out to Richmond. That's true. I love it. With that said, we want to thank Big Rich for the Ask the Cheats Movement question. We've got way more coming. If you ever have any questions, you can always contact us, thecheatsmovement at gmail.com. You can always hit us, us, hit, hit us up on Instagram, Facebook. There's, you, know, you can talk to me, Gigi Broadway, directly. But we want to get more of your Ask the Cheats Movement questions on the air. So thanks to Big Rich for that. And we will be right back after this. You're listening to The Cheats Movement on WRIR. Okay. You're listening to The Cheats Movement on WIRI. <laughs> we'll be right back after this. We'll be right back after this. <laughs> Thanks, dude. I can. You did good. Cool. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to The Cheats Movement on WRIR. I am your host, Cheats. It is Tuesday, October 1st. And I am joined by a very special guest. This is the second time on the show, Dr. Julian Hader. Julian, how you doing? What's going on, man? So now, you know, you made waves the first time. <laughs> the first time you came on the Cheats Movement. Because, and I quote, we titled the show, Why Joe Morrissey is Like Vanilla Ice. <laughs> yep. Based, based off of your 
expert, don't get me wrong, expert analysis and, uh, you know, very detailed reasoning that we put on the show. So I, I don't know if we can top it this time. Uh, yeah, that'll be tough. By the way, <laughs> it'll be. T- it was a. Gr- it was a perfect. It was a perfect line. It was a perfect setup there. Um, right. So this week, uh, I was definitely on the show. I definitely wanted to talk to you. I, instantly, when I heard the news last week that Speaker Pelosi was moving to articles of impeachment on President Trump, uh, yep. there's two things I thought of, and the w- one of them was. Man, it's about time. And then the second was, I need to talk to Julian, <laughs> and let me tell and let me tell you why. Because obviously, as a historian, this is a very historic moment. Not the first time articles of impeachment has happened on a president. We know about that, but right. it's such a historic time. And my read of this is Speaker Pelosi got to this point, really, really kicking and screaming. So when you kind of put everything in perspective uh, up into last week's announcement that Speaker Pelosi was moving to articles of impeachment kind of like put it all in perspective and up until this point wh- like how did we get here what did you see uh, given her reluctance I think um, I assume that there was some overwhelming evidence that would essentially inspire her to embark on what is it for all intents and purposes a risky political endeavor Um, I figured that they must have had or assumed, uh, that there was a pervert, the proverbial smoking gun, if you will, on, um, of some kind that broke the law. And I think given her reluctance to capitulate, if you will, to, uh, younger Democrats in the party, newly elected Democrats in the party. I assumed that uh, she was sitting on an overwhelming body of of evidence that would lead her to make this decision. Right. So, and, and again, so we're both reading this a little bit the same way. One, our read is Nancy Pelosi did not want to do this. If it was up to her completely in regard to not necessarily articles of impeachment based off of the whistleblower accounts and and, and, and this, my, my read is impeachment in general is not a road Nancy Pelosi wanted to go down. Do you, what, do, right. what do you think of that? Uh, I think you're probably right. Um, however, I think Donald Trump has proven himself, uh, if anything, to walk headlong into political crises that in some ways uh, initiate and engender a response. And I mean, she even, I think she was on record in saying that I didn't think that he was worth impeachment in many ways um and i think that's telling she thought that many of the things that had transpired heretofore um didn't warrant this type of political activity however i believe the idea of leveraging um political authority to curry favors from a foreign leader is the national security risk and it's against the law and i think she really had no choice in the matter um whether or not it's a savvy political move whether or not it was executed uh, as a savvy polit- political move uh, is uh, we still don't know, right? right, right. Um, there's just no way to know how this is going to dictate the nature of politics in, in the United States moving forward, especially in terms of the election. Right. So two things, and I don't want to get your take on these. And, and this, could, I, I'm just throwing it out there. I have no inside knowledge whatsoever. I'm just watch, reading and watching the national news like everyone else. But my question, my question to you is, do you think Pelosi's reluctance to actually move forward to impeachment was in a way kind of a way for her to maintain control of her caucus and the party in an extent? And I say that because the people that were calling for impeachment since day one, people like Maxine Waters, or even if you look at the young four um, congresswomen, uh, AOC, uh, Presley, uh, Talib, and uh, Omar yep. were all along these lines. It, do you think, and like I said, I'm just throwing it out there, but part of my read was Pelosi, because I, I wanted Pelosi to give a um, like a, a perception that, hey, look, I'm the speaker, I'm in charge, we'll go, 
when I say, not when. No, I don't. I don't think. That, no, I don't think that had very. I think that had very little to do with it. By okay. The way. I think that you know, even the four freshmen uh, Democrats that you mentioned. I mean, by Pelosi standards of political novices, right? But even as political novices, they're beholden to their constituencies, and I think they've been getting pressured by their constituencies. Like politicians are bound in many ways as political representative by their constituencies, mm-hmm. and I think. Um, you know, I'm without disparaging these individuals in any way, shape or form, they're, (laughs) they're new to Washington, by the way. Right. And their constituent, their constituencies in some ways elected them to, you know, drain the proverbial swamp, if you will. I know that's language that Trump used, but I think this is a risky political endeavor um, by any stretch, and it's particularly risky on the edge of an election. I'll give you an example uh, historically. Um, Nixon was never impeached, by the way. There were efforts to try to impeach him. But the Watergate scandal actually was uh, uncovered before he was elected again. There's no guarantee that a political, you know, that political chicanery, that political um, uh back channels that illegal activity in the White House is somehow going to lead the American public to a full-scale rebuke of the individual in office, right? It's just not how it's particularly... Uh, Nixon survived the Watergate scandal during the ele- during his second election, and it's possible that Trump could survive this, right? Um, so I think on, in some ways, I think it's telling, given that I know Polisky... Uh, I'm sorry, um... Pelosi knows that it's risky. There must be an overwhelming body of evidence that this man broke the law for her to make this move, by the way. Um, because it's it's a, it's a very serious matter. It's only happened a handful of times throughout American history, which shows you how serious it is. And the White House is, is for all intents and purposes, um, very familiar with particular types of corruption. So it's not as if um, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue hasn't had issues of corruption before. It's that this is a serious political maneuver that in some ways can shake the presidency to its core if people aren't careful, right? Absolutely. No, my, my read is if it wasn't this that encompasses that one, they seem to have them dead to right, right? And right. and it encompasses national security, like you mentioned before. My yep. my read of it is Pelosi, who again is you're right about this. She is probably the most influential speaker and I don't know how many decades or lifetimes or like what she's been able to do because she knows the inner workings of Washington so well. Yep. And so, so my read is she, there had to be, like I said, an overwhelming amount of evidence that has him dead to right. And then the other part of it is if not this, he literally could do anything. And Pelosi would have to just stand by it. Like, he would literally, like, if it's not this with the evidence that they had that has a threat to national security, she has to move on this, whether she feels like it's politically expedient or not. Because otherwise, what's the alternative? He's already done so much. But now you get to this part that, like I said, that includes national security, that includes what seemingly be, uh, I don't know if it's tapes or transcripts, something of that nature that, that has clear improprieties and using kind of the leverage of the United States to, to go after a political opponent. And they're actual, they're, they're notes for right. the record, by the way. Right. Yeah. So, so if not, that, that was my read. My read was, if not this, she can't do anything to, that's anything right. To right. I think Trump put her in a position where had she not made a move, she would have lost the moral authority, particularly once the evidence came out to the public. Right. Um, in many ways, I think that's, that's where, that's where she was at. She recognized that the overwhelming body of evidence would let her very little choice. Right. So you've mentioned a couple of times, and I want you to really get into this or or potentially play the tape out because you call, you do call it even right now a risky political move. Why do you think that this right now has the potential to be costly for the Democrats? Because it can galvanize Trump's base. It's as simple as that. Right. You got to recognize something about. Um, what Trump was elected on, right? A lot of people like to talk about race, and of course that's a factor, right? A big one. But really it's about status anxiety. 
um, and a group of people who have been led down this political road by a news channel that has essentially been preaching white victimization for quite some time, right? And I think what this does is in some ways emboldens them or gives them the perception that they're constantly under attack, that conservatives are under attack by Democrats, right? So in some ways, I think the fear is that a move to impeach could galvanize a group of people um, who essentially have portrayed themselves as victims in a country that's trending majority-minority, and, um, and, and, uh, but even more importantly, an economy uh, where upward mobility is no longer a white birthright any longer. So I think there's a lot of status anxiety here, and I think these, it, these political instances have a tendency to play out in those terms. And uh, so there's a lot going on. And, and and if if I think the fear is if, if his base is galvanized, um, it could cost Democrats the election in uh, the next the next uh, the next presidential election. I think that's a big fear. So so Julian, how does this play out? What what do you see moving forward? I mean, does it get worse before it gets better in regards to tone and nastiness? Or I mean, obviously, I don't think this is going to be a. Civil, oh, it'll get worse. Right? It'll I don't think worse. this is going to be a civil process. But play the tape right. for me. Put your crystal. Don't ball, know. Put your crystal ball on. Tell me what you think happens. I, I don't know. That's the beauty of being a historian. I look backwards and not forward. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just don't know. There. I mean, there are all kinds of contingencies and things that could happen in the future that could, you know, reshape or this reshape this event. I think it. The. The, you've, we've got to in some ways trust the process, and I think it'd be wise to let the process play itself out and let the evidence speak for itself, right? But what I do think they're going to have trouble, despite um, what evidence might come up in the House, getting this through the Senate, right? Because let's remember, in the United States, impeachment, the power to impeach comes from the house but it's tried in the senate right absolutely absolutely and the senate is a completely different animal than the house so there's a possibility that on you know i can see a cup this playing out a couple ways right that it, it goes through the house and it's stonewalled at the senate despite the overwhelming body of evidence if there is one and i'm certain that there is um or it could be that the evidence is so compelling that it forces Republicans to reevaluate their position to Donald Trump and they do something revolutionary and abandon him for a more sane candidate in in 2020 that beats the Democratic nomination. There are all kinds of things that could play out. Right. Well, all right. Now, yeah, you're the, going you're going deeper now. You're going deeper now. But that's but you asked you asked for the yeah. crystal ball. Man, I like it. I, I, mean, I like where you're going with this. Right. There, there's just a, there are so many things that can happen here. And I just think. It'd be wise if we just let this this process play itself out before we start to react to things that haven't yet occurred. Julian, Julian, let me ask you one thing before I get you out of here, and I really, really sure. appreciate your time. Uh, and I didn't, I didn't prep you for this, so you, uh, I, I want you to go off the top. But we can't uh, have you on this show and not talk about <laughs> look, not talk about monuments for a little bit. And obviously, sure. Richmond made. Uh, big news. Richmond made big news in New York City through yep. acclaimed artist Kahinde Wiley. He yep. uh, he unveiled in Times Square his brand new piece of work that's going to yep. be put on the front. It's uh, Rumors of War. It's going to yep. be put on the front of the VMFA, aligning Arthur Ashe Boulevard. Um, and one of the things that was mentioned was the monument commission that you're a part of and that commission's recommendation was we can also add you know we can add new monuments to the landscape of virginia what do you sure. think what do you think about rumors of war what do you think about it ultimately making it to richmond uh, on Arthur Ashe boulevard uh in december well you know when i was on i think it was uh, when i was on the 60 minutes show i said um one of the things that could be back the persistence of Confederate statuary is what I call historical jujitsu, right? It's like using the force, the scale and the grandeur of the monuments against themselves, right? Which requires some imagination, by the way, um, artistic or, 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 you know, um, in the written word, you name it. And I think this is one of those things. This is Kende Wiley in some ways through art has rendered um, the Stuart monument, uh, in a different in a different light, 
it, it's it's actually quite fascinating um, what you can do to interrogate this legacy without you know making it disappear right in some ways by the way and this is a lot, it was a lot lost on everybody um but in this conversation about monuments about whether to keep them up or um or remove them or, or contextualize them um i think people on wherever they stand have had trouble interrogating their own set of beliefs about what they think should happen in large part because of the trauma that um that these monuments represent it's hard for people to separate themselves from their ideas in some ways and look at this and say what 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 do we owe future future generations of of americans and richmonders and virginians about learning about the rumors of war about the, the perpetuation of the lost cause and how it became how mythology became accepted history and uh, you're not going to do that by tearing down monuments alone right you're not going to do that by removing them. It can facilitate forgetting. I think part of the reason we're here is in large part because Virginians wanted these ideas, a certain portion of history, to be forgotten. And I think one of the things that this statue does is it reminds us about the absurdity of the lost cause and how it became widely accepted um, uh, historical narrative. And that in and of itself, I think, is quite powerful. It shows that art can be a powerful tool when thinking about how to craft historical narrative. You're exactly right, and I think it's extremely powerful what has been done and, and, and how it came about. Um, uh, this is going to be a podcast for another time. We're definitely going to have you on in December when we when we talk about the unveiling and what it means to be on Author Ash Boulevard. But until now, who knows? Look, who knows what will have happened by then when we talk right. about all that's going on. Yeah. Dr. Julian Hader, University of Richmond. My pleasure, Really man. quick before we get out of here, too, and, and, and again – even gracious with your time, but really quick, you are doing a super, super amazing thing in your your new class at the University of Richmond. Give me like the sixty second version of what you're doing. That's just an urban history of Richmond, but we're using the Bridge Park Project to think about um, the nature in which uh, we're excavating the twentieth century. Right? I think we have a tendency, and I teach about slavery in this class, but I think we have a tendency when we when we want to try to describe how we got to now, why Richmond looks the way it does in twenty nineteen. We have a tendency to leapfrog Jim Crow to get back to slavery, and I think that the evidence shows that uh, there were a number of things that happened in the twentieth century that actually had a more profound influence on the Richmond we look at today. So this class is really a way to unpack that um, by looking at things like freeway construction, redlining. Uh, uh, segregation in schools and and just urban history. So we're using um, Bridge Park and the Manchester Bridge and a way to reimagine urban space to have a more robust discussion about how we can excavate the 20th century in a way that better uh, helps us understand how we got to now in, in the city of Richmond. Well, it is a fascinating class. You and Ted Elmore are working on it together with Bridge Park, and I, I'm excited about that and what you're doing there, but I'm always excited to have you on talking about, look, the uh, the commentary of the day. So thanks, Julian. Yeah, my pleasure, man. All right, this is the Cheats okay. Movement on WRIR. We'll be right back after this. Say, up next on the Cheats Movement. Up next on the Cheats Movement. GG Broadway Conspiracy Theories. GG Broadway Conspiracy Theories. Oh. Oh, I like it. We'll use that. Nice. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to The Cheats Movement on WRIR. It is Tuesday, October 1st. Gigi Broadway, you are here. You are back. How you feeling? Feeling good, man. Gigi Broadway, I am very excited about what we're about to discuss, only because I know it fits right into the heart of your conspiracy theories. It does. Very abbreviated, very short. We see it, we don't see it. And ladies and gentlemen, yes, it's that time of the program where we're going to talk about Takashi 69. Takashi 69, if you are unaware, hip hop artist making, you know, came onto the scene, I guess, two years ago. I, 2016, I think, is when he first started, like, whenever, when the was scene. the Gummo track? The Gummo track is the first track that really made waves. And honestly, since. His debut single, Gummo, has been making waves. Mm-hmm. He has not stopped making waves up until his arrest. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so, I mean, and that was, a, that was a streak there of, what, a year and a half? Had it two years? Yeah. That Takashi was 
one of arguably one of the biggest things, if not the biggest thing, in hip hop media. Not hip hop music, but hip hop media. And so the the news was, you know, several months ago he was arrested uh, as a part of a connection to his team and the uh, and the Bloods game in, in, gang in New York City, and then ever since then the news just has kept coming, kept coming. Takashi's turned state evidence. Takashi's talking on everybody and telling on everyone, and so there's a lot of conspiracy theories. There's a lot of conspiracy theories surrounding this whole event. Gigi Broadway, you are the queen of conspiracy theories. Can you let us know and break down your thoughts on all the news that has happened, especially last week and this week, about Takashi Six Nine and what you th- what you have been thinking as we move through this trial? I mean, honestly, it's it's a whole whirlwind of of nonsense, and it's it's just appalling to me. <laughs> I mean, it really is. It's like a storm of like a lot of BS. Now, here's the thing. It seems to be divided into one of maybe three theories here, right? Okay. Give them all to me. I want them all. All right. So, the one is, oh, poor Takashi 69 He's a little kind of slow kid out there who has been sucked up into this whole industry and been used and abused by the gang members. Takashi is a victim. There's, there's he is a, theory. a victim. He, people, you know, some people just think he's an innocent guy, little, you know, a guy, young, a young gentleman who has been sucked into the, to I, wouldn't the say, I wouldn't say gentleman, but they would say that he was a inspiring artist that got caught up and, and, you know, taken advantage. He wanted to be a part of this gang and he's the victim because the gang took advantage of him because right. he wanted to be. Is that what you're you're getting at? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, he just wanted to be an aspiring artist. I'm not going to call him a rapper because you know how I feel about that. But, um, yeah, he just got caught in, you know, caught up, got in way over his head and boom, look, you know. What percentage of truth would you give that theory? (sighs) Probably about 10% maybe. Okay. That's higher than I thought. (laughs) That's being lenient. Okay. You know, what's theory number two? Theory number two. Oh, should I answer this for me or no? You said 10% on he's just fully taken advantage of naive, inspiring artists that wanted to be, wanted to belong. Yeah, what do you think that percentage is? The percentage on that, you said 10? Yeah. I would say, see, here's the problem with, here's the issue. I would say uh taking advantage of yes but naive and innocent no so i mean i i do think that he wanted it so i'm gonna put it at like 25 percent that he was taking advantage of but okay what the caveat is he was not like this innocent young kid that was naive no he he wanted to be he wanted yeah. to be and he wanted to be in but do you think he wanted to be like a big rapper or do you think he just wanted to be a big like gangster type you know both. what i mean both. both okay he wanted i think he wanted to be big and he wanted to be all of that okay he so you think he wanted to be a, like a yes. full-out gangster yes but i do think there was a part of him that got taken advantage of but as you move through your conspiracy theories did he get taken advantage of by whom continue on all right so here's the thing here's the thing all right so there's another theory that kind of plays off of you know him wanting to do what it takes to kind of get the clout and the money and everything and that it was kind of like a two-way give and take between him and the bloods right Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like um they're working for each other working with each other they both had you know um things to gain from one another so it was in theory a good business kind of dealing that just turned sour and went horribly wrong mm-hmm. right okay in this scenario that they're that they're in this all together like mm-hmm. they're using each other because that's a little bit like i alluded to when i tried to cut out theory one yeah, yeah. It, are there any federal agents involved in theory two it's is it just takashi and his people in the, the the gang the blood gang and his people without any other influence yeah okay what do you subscribe to that one i don't 
at all. None. I don't Zero. even see that. Okay. No. I'm closer to that one than, than you are, so I'm going to say 50%. You know what? A lot of people are. Yes. I'm very closer to that one. But go ahead. All right. A lot so of then people there's are. theory number three. Number three. Which I know. If you've got 10 and then you've got zero, <laughs> basically 90% of this is what you think is true. This is it for me. Hit it. Hit it. Hit it, Gigi. This is it for me. That I think that he... Now, here, see. Now, the, it's, it's a little bit of different caveats within this one theory. Okay. Um, being that, you know, some people think that he was an industry or fed plant from the very beginning. I've heard that. Yes, I've heard okay. that theory. Um, and there's also a theory which I'm more leaning towards, where you you remember that um that sexual case he got caught up with that 13 year old yes, back in the day. I remember that. It wasn't that long ago because he's 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 a fairly young man. This is true. So yeah, this is when he's 17, 16, right? 19 year old, but it's not it's not 10 years ago. It's really no, not that long ago. Not that long ago at all. At all. Okay. Before now, we go forward, do you want to break these up into two different theories? Do you no, want to make because I okay. mean, I feel like it's all around the same kind okay. of okay. basis, you know? Continue on. So, being that he got caught up with that, and a lot of people were like, okay, that was kind of a serious offense that kind of got swept under the rug too lightly. He got the lightest. So, this is a sexual sexual assault rape charge with a minor. Mm-hmm. He got found guilty. This is what people don't understand. He got found guilty, but he got the lightest sentence. He basically got probation yeah. for an admitted rape case. Which leads people like myself to believe that it could have been the birth of some type of deal at that point to lead to where we are right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm fit. And the more you dig, it just—it's just the most logical explanation to this madness. So break it down for me. You believe during sometime during that previous arrest, mm-hmm. it was, you know, I'm going to start working. I owe the feds. I'm going to start working with the feds, and then somehow this came around to to come back home. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, it's when I started doing like a little um, research, and the way he was like found was kind of shady, and and I didn't even know that like he was hooked up with some Slovakian people like back in the day. I, I mean, didn't know this either. Yeah, these, these were the so new information on this case or on the history of this young man who again is a young guy. I don't know if yeah. he's twenty five years old yet. Like I, I don't, I don't know exactly how old he is, but. He from him coming on the scene for you know a couple years ago, and then probably for the next two years up until his arrest, being the biggest thing in hip hop media does lead to a ton of conspiracy theories because one, there's tons of folks that come out with a record, yeah. right? And let's 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 call it what it is. Gummo was a big record, and it had a lot of kids, but it was also not the biggest record. It wasn't Old Town Road big. I don't know if it was. It was probably bigger than Young and May Ooh, right? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Ooh mm. was everywhere. Ooh was everywhere. So, so here's the thing. The other things that come out was this backstory. The backstory of Takashi Six Nine is not a backstory like, say, a Bobby Schmurder, right? Mm. Like where he everyone knew. You know, little Bobby in Brooklyn in his, you know what I mean? It, no, it wasn't that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, three years ago, there's pictures of Takashi Six Nine all in blue and in in crip colors. Yeah. And then a year later, he's got the whole block all in red, and they're all, oh, he's our biggest artist in the Blood Gang. So there's a lot of things that just kind of, it's interesting how he got in, right? Right. How he got trusted to be in. And then he got all of these, all this money and resources to continue to get him without basically not a lot of credit, getting him big records, getting him on the breakfast club, getting him on hot 90. So, you know what I mean? It was just, so there's a, everybody's looking at this like, man, who's, who's funding this? Who's promoting this? Who's getting, you know what I mean? Who's got the motives to do this? And then he isn't single-handedly because they had uh, it's a Treyway blood gang in New York City mm-hmm. and they had the feds have had plants in that organization they said since 2013 so way before Takashi's been involved but he is one of the biggest p- pieces to take down this entire operation which leads to yeah 
thoughts that he's been working with the feds for a for a while. And aren't we at the point now where he's actually took it like he's taken his deal. He's pleaded guilty. But all of this cooperation leads to his sentence. His his sentence hasn't been released yet, right? It hasn't. But um, details of his agreement actually state that, you know, if he fully cooperates with the investigation that and i don't know how many charges that he actually has but i know charges like one through nine it was a ton totally will be resolved like like no type of consequences for at least nine out of however many charges it is so as as we put a bow on this because you have subscribed to of the of the theory you subscribe to that he's been a federal plane all along yeah i think he's been working undercover for quite some time what does this mean in regards to hip hop, but in bigger terms, like say, if indeed he gets back out on the streets, what does this mean in 2019? Do you think artists work with him? Do you think people still put records out with him? Do you think he can come back and be a bigger deal or as equally as big as he was once in hip hop? Here's your thing. I, I <coughs> when it first started. <coughs> I'm like, you know what? He's done. It's no way he can come back from this. It's just, it's a wrap, it, you know. But the more that things unfold, I honestly think that there might be a chance that he can actually, if he spins it right, he could actually come back from this and use it as like some kind of, because, you know, it, things are so much different than it was back in the day. Back in the day in the 90s, 2000s, sure. he's done, right? Sure. 2019 20 you know i mean 2020 coming in it's it's a bit different i the way that the narratives of things can be controlled so easily nowadays i don't put it past it to where he can actually come out really still make music and still have a following you know what we're gonna have to leave it there but i'm gonna tell you this i agree with a hundred percent of what you just said about if he's able to come back I agree a hundred percent. It's it is crazy, but I definitely in this era where attention and popularity is the most imper- important currency. Uh-huh. This story, if he gets released and he comes back with a with an album or a single, which I think people are going to work with him. I think he'll still get features. Yeah. I think he'll still get people downloading and streaming his out. There is nothing in the height of cancel culture, right? <laughs> it is very hard to cancel cancel people in the height of cancel culture because all you're doing is giving them more attention. Exactly. Just imagine thirty million off of the first interview. I bet as soon as he comes out, I mean, he's already paid from like interviews for at least a year. We're going to have to leave it there. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Gigi Broadway's Conspiracy Theories. The plot thickens. The plot thickens. We will be right back right after this. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Cheats Movement on WRIR. It is Tuesday, October 1st. Gigi Broadway is in the building. Gigi, how you feeling? I'm here, man. Feeling good. Start of a new month. It is. It is. We're ready to roll, man. It's a big month. October's a big month. Gosh, the year's almost over. The year is almost over, and we're just humming along. I want to thank everyone that's been rocking with the Cheats Movement on WRIR. I mean, we can't overstate how much we appreciate our listeners. For sure. More than you would ever know. So we want to do something a little bit fun right now. Um, I wanted to get into something that has happened in the world of hip-hop, we, we love hip-hop and we don't talk enough about it on the show, so this has been a hip-hop-heavy episode for us. But I want to quickly go through, um, if you're not familiar with an artist out of Charlotte called The Baby, The Baby has released a second studio album in 2019. So this is his, so last week he released Kirk, and before that, in March, he released an album called Baby on Baby. And... I guess in 2019, studio albums are a big deal. That They don't release them nearly as frequently as they did, say, in the golden era of hip-hop. Yep. But it got a lot of people talking about hip-hop artists that have released two studio albums. Not mixtapes, not posse cuts, but studio albums in one year. And who was the best to ever do such, such a feat? So, Gigi Broadway, I've got a list. 
that was just released from Vibe Magazine. A list of hip-hop artists that have released two full-length studio albums. And we're going to go through these really quickly. And we're going to rank the the ranking artists or, like, albums. Right? Okay. So we're going to try to do this the best we can. And let me just say, before we get started. Yes. I commend everybody on this list. Before I before I have to give my Why piece. Why are you nervous already? I'm saying because you know how these lists can be, man. You okay. know? Well, we're going to go through it quickly. You're going to write these down, and then you, we can come back and rate. We don't have to rank all ten, but we'll just pull out the top five. Okay. Okay. So, 1996, Tupac Shakur, hip-hop <laughs> legend, released All Eyes on Me and the Don... Uh, Kilo, Kilo, how do you say it? What, the, what is it? The, the Kaluminati? Kaluminati. That's a... Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, here's the thing. All right. Now, everybody is going to kill me. I'm, I'm going to leave this in because everybody's going to kill me because of my uh, personal dislike for Tupac. Because uh, you know this. I mean, this yeah, is no I secret. That's Anyone that hilarious. has followed the Cheats movement since day one with the Hip Hop Podcast, I believe that Tupac is... You know, I'm warmed up. I've gotten softer in my old age, but I, I am not the biggest Tupac fan in regards to music. I love him as a person, but as in regards to music, all eyes on me and the Don, the Don, <laughs> the Don Kaluminati Kil- theory, Kilinami, Kilinami, <laughs> the Seven Day theory. Uh, moving on, moving on. 1998, mm. DMX. It's dark and hell is hot. Flesh of My Flesh, Blood of My Blood. Oh, both, my goodness. Both multi-platinum albums. Yes. So, 19... That was 19... That was... Excuse me. Two, that was 1998. Nas, 1999. I Am and Nostradamus. Mm. Uh, hip-hop legend. So, so far, let's just quickly... Quick recap. Tupac, DMX, Nas. You see the caliber of artists... Already ...that they're the talking about that has listed two studio albums in one year. Moving forward... 2004, Nelly, Sweat and Souped. So it was a Sweat album and a Souped album. Okay. Okay. 2010, Lil Wayne, Rebirth, and I Am Not a Human Being. Hmm. Got that written down? Mm-hmm. Okay. This is confusing because I guess he did it in 12 months, but it's two calendar years. Oh. E-40 has wow. two albums. Uh... Revenue retrieving day shift, revenue revenue retrieving night shift. Okay. He actually might have even more than this. Revenue retrieving overtime shift and graveyard shift. So it could be four albums. Or oh no, I get it. I'm sorry. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen. In two thousand ten he did revenue retrieving day shift and night shift. Two thousand eleven he did overtime shift and graveyard shift. So he's actually got Four albums in two years split. Yeah, that's some hard work. And he created like his own language too. He Shout created out. his own language. However, do you know what E Forty is most famous for? In my opinion, what? It's when Biggie, the notorious B.I.G., was rap, ranking rappers on a scale of <laughs> one to ten, and they <laughs> they asked about E Forty, and he said zero. <laughs> and I totally agree with him. Or he said something like a negative. <laughs> yo, almost got Biggie killed. Like, yo, <laughs> real talk, E-40 had that much juice in the Bay Area. Yeah. At one time, they were going to kidnap Big, and E-40 was like, let him go, man, let him go. Because he Big didn't know E-40, and he was all joking. They were giving him rappers to rank numbers, and I think he either went with zero or negative number for E-40. It was I'm, hilarious. I, I can't disagree. <laughs> <laughs> all right, moving on. 2016. Now, this... Okay, so we have... We really... Have uh, my first flag. I'm putting a flag on this. Flag on a play? But you may disagree. Uh, they've got 2016 Frank Ocean, Endless, and Blonde. When I think of hip-hop artists, I think of rap like rap artists, hip-hop artists that, that rap. Frank Ocean is not a rapper. He's an R&B singer. However, he is hip-hop. He is hip-hop. So do you consider, do you, do you put him in the category of hip-hop artists to release two albums in one year? You have to. Okay, so you're taking him? Yeah, because it's not rapper, it's hip-hop in general, right? So we got to go with him, man. All right, so if you leave him in, the it's Endless and Blonde Frank Ocean. You're keeping him in. All right, well, I think we should. Hey, we're moving along because we got to do this. Uh, Gucci Mane, 2016-2017. Albums are... Everybody looking, the return of East Atlanta, Santa, uh, <laughs> Mr. Davis, El Gato, the Human Glacier. El Gato, the Human Glacier is one album. 
2017, Gucci. And then uh, I I am very familiar with this. In this, okay, so if Frank Ocean goes in, Future has to go in, right? Whoa, what? Why do you say that like that? Well, because like, it's like you're not gonna say if you're gonna say Frank Ocean is a singer more than a rapper, you've got to say Future is a singer, right? More than a rapper. Absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. I'm not sure. Where 2017, the album's Future and the album's Hendrix. Ah. <sighs> The artist 20, I love to hate. 2018? Hey, look. I hate to love them. Hey, hey <laughs> certain anthems and certain clubs would not be the same and, without Future or Gucci. And that's for sure. That's for sure. Uh, 2018, Little Yachty, Little Boat 2, Nothing to Prove. That ends the list. So really quickly, Gigi Broadway, we've got Little Yachty, we've got Future, we've got Gucci, we've got Frank Ocean, we've got... E forty, we've got Little Wayne, we've got Nelly, we've got Nas, we've got X, we've got Tupac. Again, for the sake of time, we'd said five. Let's bring this let's break this down to three. Okay. Let's break this down to three. Best album best studio albums in one year. Thoughts. Who who would you say of that list is coming in third? Coming in in third, I would probably have to give it to... God, this is hard. Three, man? Three. Oh, God. I can't. I can't do it. Because you know what? My three are are right along the same like level to me. I, I can't even like one, two, three them. Cause they're you can't all, one, two, three them? I right. can't. All right, what do you, all, all right, what do you got? Come on. Because you, you got to go Tupac, DMX, and Nas, man. Do you? With with Lil Wayne close. <laughs> do <very> you? Cl- <laughs> I do. This is what this is this is what it's come down to. So here's the thing. You you're going Hall of Fame. You're just going Hall of Fame legends. But you know but what? But the question is, is I am and Nostradamus really good albums? Here's the thing. I went off <laughs> Come on now, Nostradamus? Uh see now you got me second. Maybe Are I should swap out Nas for Lil Wayne. You know what? What was it, Lil Wayne? The Rebirth and I Am Not a Human, right? Yes. Oh God, why are you making me do this? All right, let me let me sub let me swap um, Nas out for Lil Wayne and Lil Wayne coming up on the third. Let me do that. All right. Okay, but you don't have an order. You don't have an order. mm -mm, It's too hard. It's too hard between Tupac and DMX for me. And I'm not just going because they're like, you know, like the the staples of Hip Hop Hall of Fame. I'm really thinking of like the effort. Right. Now, what, what are what are in. the best combo of albums in, of that group? Because, I mean, come on now. Dark. Oh, so, uh, I mean, well, hold on. So, before, you go, before you go too far. Okay. I'm going to tell you there's a clear cut number one. There's a clear cut number one, and I know where you're going with this. And I agree 100%. Okay. DMX and 1998. Yeah, it's dark and hell is hot. Flesh of my flesh and blood of my blood. It doesn't get better. Those are two. Those are two of the greatest hip hop albums of all time. Period. Absolutely. So it's the fact that he put them out in the same year, went quadrillion platinum with yeah. all of it, and was DMX like yeah, it's not easy being DMX at all through all of this. Yeah. Right. Uh, that's my clear. That's my clear cut number one. Clear that's cut sure. number one on this list. Yeah. Um. Number two gets a little bit harder because, like you, I agree. I'm definitely putting Tupac at two. And yeah. I, <laughs> and while I can't say it, the title of the second album, you could put Mark Cheatham's Greatest Hits beside All Eyes on Me. All Eyes on Me was an amazing album. Oh, my gosh. Like it's a, hands down. Hands down hip-hop classic. Facts. So... And look, and I want everyone to listen to this because I, I I very rarely give Tupac musical praise, but all eyes on me. I don't care. What, like they could have put Tupaclips beside this album, yeah. the next one. It's still gonna be number two because it's that sure. good of a that of this list. It's that good. Like all eyes on me is that that's out. So I've got X clear number one clear. Yeah. For sure. I've got Pac a clear number two, which I love, and then <laughs> three. It's real hard <laughs> for me to say Nostradamus, I'm and so... I am 
is is real strong. I don't know. <laughs> I don't I don't know. Doing Nas dirty man. No, I'm I'm looking. I'm, I'm really trying to look at what was on Rebirth, and I'm not a human to to see if I could put um if I could put Wayne up there. Uh, but. At this point, I'm ready just on strength to give it to Frank Ocean and just say those two albums are probably better. <laughs> what? I would give it a future before Frank Ocean. <laughs> right, like I was gonna say, I might give it the future. I, I might give it. I might chalk it up the future of Frank Ocean at number three and say, look, Golly. look, y'all, y'all did. Because here's the thing: the one album, the one Sorry, Frank Ocean album I didn't is. Quite catch that. Could you please repeat it? Oh wow! Name it, sir. Oh, um, now real talk though but the one frank ocean album was the la the the endless album wasn't that the album to get him out of his deal and no one liked that album and then he hit everybody with the blonde bomb remember it was like a week later remember was that it a week later it was something like i needed to do an album to get out of my contract oh uh, and know that what? was like the throwaway album and then Blonde came out, and that was his. He owned everything, and everybody was like, mm. yo, Frank, really? You know what I mean? See, you brought in another aspect of it. Because a lot of artists do do those BS throw out, throwaway albums just to get out of contract. So that changes it. <laughs> I think, I mean, I mean, I don't know. But you're probably right about the future. The future albums probably, I don't know. Future probably got 45 songs on both of those exactly. albums. Exactly. <laughs> he got, probably got like 10 hits. <laughs> On each, just because they all sound the same. Damn that man! <laughs> they all sound the same. I hate to love him, but he might have bought it out. Yeah. But here's the thing: so if we're gonna make this easy for us, and we can wrap this up, audience, you tell us who, who do you think, in regards to terms of studio albums, two in one year, was who, who was the best? Right? Who was the best that put it out there? Uh, I'm going with DMX, man. DMX is my clear cut favorite. Those God. two albums, uh, he and. Uh, it's Dark and Hell is Hot is his debut album, right? Yeah. That's his debut. And then he followed that up with, I'm talking about Flesh of My Flesh of Blood. I mean, bangers. And I don't I don't Straight. recall it being in the same year. It and was the same year. No, I knew that. No, no, I knew that. 1998, he was right. But again, anybody that's, you know, sees D, even today, you see DMX's personality. DMX probably could make like three albums like in this week. Well, you know he just dropped some. Yeah, it's insane. I it's mean, insane. I, I love it. And, and and but those albums they hit the sh- they hit different when those albums came out they hit different and like I said you could put any of Tupac's albums against uh, up against All Eyes on Me like Tupac for what it's worth Tupac has is a tremendous tremendous artist this is coming from me this is a that pop. that that does put out like he's put out some really good stuff it's just it, my without getting too detailed about it <laughs> it is the you know over the top <laughs> the over the oh top Lord. blind blind you know kind of cult like loyalty that Tupac beckons that you would think you would think that he could rap as good as big or you would think he could rap oh, as good oh, as big here we dude. go here comes he just, I'm sorry I'm sorry he can't I'm sorry I knew it was right. gonna come back no, to no, no 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 it's just <laughs> There was a whole, there was a whole East Coast West Coast <laughs> over someone that like really stop did, it. You, you were doing. Yeah, good. I was doing so well. You were doing great. DMX can rap better. DMX can rap better than Tupac. No, those don't. Oh, what? will that get me in trouble? What saying DMX can rap better than Tupac? Oh, that it might in a in a few circles. Ugh. But you know what? There is some validity in that statement. Validity. I can name twenty five rappers that can rap better too. Oh my! Of course you can. You probably <laughs> can name thirty. Until next time, <laughs> we got we got to close this segment out. But until next time, Gigi Broadway. I'm glad we did this one. I'm glad we did this. Yeah, this is good. All right, we'll be right back to close out the show right after this. Say, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to end the show. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to end the show. <laughs> That's right, ladies and gentlemen. That is right, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to the Cheats Movement on WRIR. It is time to end the show. GG Broadway, we've had a good one. We have. You made it through. Another one. Hey, so you were telling me really quick before we get out of here that, uh, you know, last episode I was telling you about the challenges of a Sunday wedding. Yeah. You have some new Sunday challenges. All right, so we thought Sunday weddings, what, what was the challenge? Sunday rap battles. 
I, I can't do it. Who does a rap battle on Sunday? You know, a, 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 a league that can't get a venue on Saturday. Oh. <laughs> oh, man. So you were at a rap battle on Sunday? Yes, and I paid for it horribly all day today. Okay. Okay. I, I, no, please, please, league owners, no battles. If you can help it on a Sunday, it's, it's, who is rough? Oh, man. Gigi Broadway, what do you got coming up? All right. So, um, ooh. So, I don't know the date yet, but we're working on a haunted tour of the Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> <laughs> now, well, you know what? We're, we're not even going to tease our audience anymore. We talk about okay. doing things at the Poe Museum all the time. People have emailed me and was like, oh, we should do this, and we haven't done it. So, I'm not, nope. I'm, I'm not saying, even supporting I'm just this. telling you, it's a haunted tour in the works. Um, what else? What else? I've got one that is coming up. I believe it is Sunday, October 20th. Okay. An activity you should be able to come out with on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, our good friend of the show, You, if you listened to the last episode, you heard an in-depth interview with Roscoe Burnham's. He's got his Tromedy special oh, at yeah. the Dark Room Sunday, October 20th. So make sure you go online, get some tickets to Tromedy, check it out, and uh, support the homie, man. He's a good friend of the show, and he's doing really great things. So I uh, definitely wanted to throw that out there and make sure you guys check it out on October 20th. Something else I'm missing, but I'll probably remember when it's too late. <laughs> well, if it is too late, make sure you follow us. Make sure you email us. Make sure you Facebook us, and we'll get back to you. IG us on Instagram. It's the Cheats Movement, uh, the Cheats Movement at Gmail dot com on everything. You can hit Gigi Broadway directly on Twitter and IG Gigi Broadway. Just type it in; it'll come up. And uh, obviously, you can hit me on cheats on everything. So thank you, guys. Another episode in the books. We want to thank Dr. Julian Hader for spending some time with us uh, talking all things uh, impeachment. (laughs) And uh, we'll be, (laughs) man, we'll be back. Until next time, Richmond. We We see see it. it.